Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from Gunner Blog. Goodly morning to you. Goodly morning. Goodly morning. It feels goodlier than than many of the last few mornings that we've done this podcast. It does. I'm glad of that too. I have to say, I, you know, I, everything in context and what have you. But I'm I'm glad that there's an element of goodliness to the morning this morning. Uh, I think we all need it. I think so. Yeah. Why not start the week with a bit of goodliness? I mean, it, you know, it was once our trademark, it, you know, and, and <laughs> now it's sort of it belongs to the past. Seemingly, I'm I'm glad to to return to it. Yes. I mean, you know. We won a football match and everything. It's marvelous, marvelous, Japes altogether. Um, how was your How was your show, by the way? I know that uh, obviously we were plugging it last week uh, on the Arscast Extra, and, and uh, how did it all go? It went very well. We plugged it successfully enough that a few people came up to me afterwards and said that they were listeners to the show. So thanks very much for coming along, if you did. But yeah, it was uh, it was really good fun. The, the sort of only problem with it was it was a seven o'clock kickoff as you if you will so yeah. i ended up missing to be honest most of the goals in real time of the uh, lincoln game so i had to go back and watch it later that night but uh, uh. i saw the first half which was probably not the fir- the half to see really of, the, of that game <laughs> no it wasn't great i mean the first half was uh, pretty dismal by any standards it was a bit grim you know it, mm. they looked like a group of players who had just been beaten 10-2 by Bayern Munich on aggregate i don't know why that would be but that's kind of <laughs> kind of the way they looked an uncanny resemblance, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I guess, and it was those players, wasn't it? It was very much those players. Uh, you know, no, not not a great deal of rotation. Or, no. Were there any changes? Only... Kieran no, Gibbs. I think Kieran, Kieran Gibbs, Gibbs. For Nacho Monreal. And that was it, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. think so. So, uh, being a little bit... Uh, oh, Petr Petr Cech for David Ospina. David Ospina apparently was a little bit injured, so he couldn't play... I thought um, Emmy Martinez might play, I must say. I think that was partly just because he put a picture on Instagram saying, like, Lincoln tomorrow or something like that. And I thought, oh, may- maybe. They should but, stop uh, being so, uh, they should stop being so, what's the word, vague. You know, if you're going to put up a picture on Instagram that's hinting at something, just fucking say it. Go, I'm playing against Lincoln tomorrow. Fuck you guys. Yeah. That's why I'd Fuck like to you. see a bit more honesty in social media. Fuck you, I'm playing against Lincoln. None of this like, ooh, is he or isn't he? Has he dropped a hint about whatever? And this is not specific to Emmy Martinez, who seems like a, a nice guy, but footballers in general, you know, be a bit more out there, guys. Come on, show your real personality. Uh, let go of the media training. Yeah, 
Exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, or just put one on Instagram saying, I'm not playing Lincoln tomorrow, and I'm furious about it. You yeah. know, just <laughs> tell it like it is. Yeah, I'm aghast at the manager's decision to leave me out, having not played me all season. He's continuing <laughs> to not play me. What's going on here? That sounds like you're talking about Lucas Perez's Instagram. Oh, well, yeah. Do you want to talk about Lucas Perez a bit? Shall we start with talking about Lucas yeah. Perez? Because on the subject of the lineup, like that was the really big surprise to me. I was like, surely, surely this is one of the few games in which Lucas Perez is allowed to play. Yeah, because he's played in pretty much all the uh, FA Cup games. That is how Arsene Wenger has, in his his own strange way, attempted to keep the player happy or given some playing time at, at the very least, mm. but uh, he, he wasn't in the team. Um, I mean, Alexis Sanchez scored a goal, Theo Walcott scored a goal, Olivier Giroud scored a goal, so you can't necessarily point to the team selection being incorrect or misfiring in any way, but it really does feel like he's a guy who, despite playing pretty well almost every time he's he's come on, isn't a guy who Arsene Wenger is convinced by or has a great deal of faith in. And I know that uh, you have a little bit of um, insight in, into this and, and how the deal all came about last summer. Now, I don't know if, mm. how much detail you can go into. Um, I don't want you to be a, like, you know, Emmy Martinez on Instagram. You don't have to be that. <laughs> you don't have to be that direct. But, you know, you can. we can deal with a little bit of vagueness if we can try and get some understanding of, of what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I made a couple of phone calls about it yesterday because I thought it would probably come up today. And and uh, one thing I can say is that I know that last season when Lucas was at Deportivo, having a, a very good year, in the first half of the season, I think he scored about a dozen goals, 15 goals. He slowed down in the second half of the campaign, but he attracted a lot of attention. And I know Arsenal watched him uh, about 10 to 12 times by various means. And ultimately, uh, their kind of head of scouting ultimately was was briefing that he felt that Lucas was a player better suited to the lower half of the Premier League. Right. And that was Arsenal's point of view on the situation. They were right. like, he's he's not a sort of Champions League player, someone who could you know maybe go to a mid-table club, probably lower half of Premier League. So, and that was that was at the start of last summer's transfer window. Um, Certainly, that was the scouting department's assessment of the situation. Obviously, in the course of the summer, things changed. And, and the main thing that changed was the failed pursuit of Jamie Vardy. Yeah. Um, and, and then, obviously, the club felt maybe they needed to do something. And, and there were other targets. I mean, it, you know, you'll remember yourself, there were a lot of links to... I mean, Lacazette was certainly yeah. one of the names who was discussed. Who else was on the agenda? I forget now. I can't remember uh, from a striking point of view, but, you know, there, there wasn't... I mean, I think that the issue was, when it came to strikers last summer, was the the, the dearth of of options, really, wasn't it? Yeah, and Morata was another one that there's a lot of talk yeah. about, but ultimately Madrid exercised their option on him. Um, so, rather late in the day, Lucas was actually right at the point of signing for Everton. He'd been holding out for a Champions League club, but Everton had come in. There was a minimum fee release clause of uh, 20 million euros, which made it a sort of expedient deal to do. It was, I mean, I think hours away from happening, and then... Uh, the player's head was basically turned because Arsenal came in at the last minute. Now, what changed in terms of the assessment of the player, I actually don't know. Is it that Arsene Wenger, you know, acted without the sort of 
consent or advice of the scouting department? Is it maybe that um, one of the analytics services, like Stat DNA, for example, suggested, well, look, this Lucas guy is, uh, you know, better than perhaps we, we assessed in person? Or was he simply the next name on the list? Or was it just a deal that was doable? Uh, either way, it represented a big turnaround from Arsenal's position on the player earlier in the summer. Um, we've seen that before. It, it happened with Per Mertzacker. Arsenal rejected the chance to sign Per Mertzacker several times before they eventually did it. And Arsene Wenger's come to really love the player. Mm. Um, but it feels like in this case, uh, maybe some of those doubts that were there, you know, linger. I, I do think it feels like he's kind of not really a key part of... Wenger's plans that's mm. the thing he doesn't seem to be making as much effort to integrate him as he would say an Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain or someone for whom there's a longer term vision yeah I mean I, I think you made a point yesterday that was interesting as well is that even if they had these doubts about him before they signed him and looked at him probably as a squad player, somebody who could, uh, you know, do a job rather than be a guy who's going to stake a claim for a first team place, you know, at 28 years of age, coming to a club like Arsenal from a club like Deportivo. I don't think anybody's under any illusions that he was going to be the star striker, but still a guy who could come in and do a job. And, and from what we've seen from him this season, the doubts that maybe the, 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 the manager or the scouting team had have been dispelled somewhat by the level of the performances that he's put in you know in very mm. little playing time he has contributed he's got end product to his game and I think that's kind of what frustrates fr- frustrates people a little bit is that you know he, he has done well uh, and has probably over the course of the season merited a bit more playing time or been rewarded by uh, keeping his place or starting games when other players for example we, we go back to the uh to the team selection against Bayern or uh, Lincoln. And Arsene Wenger said the reason that he wanted to uh, play that team was because he thought they played well against Bayern in the first 53 minutes before Koscielny was sent off and they deserved another chance. Um, Mm. And we've seen that quite a bit from the manager this season, that he seems much more willing to give players who haven't performed another chance and another chance and another chance rather than mix it up a bit and say, okay, well, look, you didn't do it in that game and you didn't do it in the previous game. I'm going to put you on the bench for a little bit and and put this guy in and see if he can at least generate some competition or generate some uh, sort of competitive environment. And I think that's probably what frustrates people a little bit about uh, what's going on with, with Lucas Perez. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. And I think that, you know, even if those doubts did exist, he has dispelled those with his the quality of his performances. He's mm. shown that he's a very, very viable option. Um, I mean, I thought Tim Stillman said something interesting on Twitter yesterday, which is that he said that to him, Lucas always seemed like a, a potentially a one-season signing. You know, he, he said he compared it to Davos Suke coming in, that he felt it was mm. very much a quick fix uh, to kind of cover for the absence of Danny Welbeck. And looking at it now, you know, it feels as if that that may well be the case, because you know, Lucas must have been very frustrated to not play yesterday. And there have been a lot of stories in the in the media about him potentially being unhappy. I think almost irrespective of how he feels about it, his future has to be in some doubt come the summer because, you know, he's he's really should have had more chances than, than he's been afforded. And it seems like, uh, well, I, I guess a lot will depend on the manager, won't it? A lot yeah. will depend on what happens with the manager. If Arsene Wenger stays, it's very difficult to see 
Lucas stayed. Yeah. Do, do you think there's an element in some ways of when a team is underperforming and when results aren't good that the guys who aren't playing become a little bit more, what's the word I'm looking for here, that reputationally they improve uh, because they haven't yeah. been in the team and you're going, well, look, anybody but that fucking guy that didn't do it against you know that opposition in that game, you're looking for something a bit fresh and looking for something a bit new. It's sort of the way when a player is out injured, uh, he, he becomes imbued with uh, superhuman qualities that the team misses beyond all repair. You know, that, that we can't do without this player, but when the player is fit and when he's in the team we still have these poor performances and poor results you know that this guy is not necessarily the the be all and end all or, or the, the 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 guy that will fix all our problems yeah i definitely think there's an element of that and it's kind of you know like anyone but the guys who are out there <laughs> losing these big games that we see regularly it's, mm. there's a certain novelty to lucas that we that makes us probably a bit warmer to him but i think I think, curiously enough, the thing that probably counts against him the most is probably what I like about him most, which is his age profile and his experience. I think probably Arsene doesn't view him as kind of a long-term project. You know, he's 28, 29 soon enough. Mm. But actually, when I watch him play, that kind of slightly hardened professionalism, that rough edge and that sort of uh, know-how is actually what I really like about watching him play. There seems mm. a, a natural intelligence to his game that is kind of born of experience and born of someone who's kind of fought their way up through the Europe division, Europe's divisions to make it to the Champions League. Yeah. Um, and and I, I like that about him, but I think that it probably it probably works against him a bit. I mean, what do you, what's your assessment of the the signing in general? That, like, do you think it was kind of a would you, would you classify it as a, a panic buy, or how, how do you look at it now, a few well, months on? Yeah, I don't know if it was necessarily a panic buy, but it was certainly one where they probably exhausted all other possibilities or, mm. or potential candidates, because it came very late, didn't it? It was really late. They were late. running out of time, yeah, definitely. Yeah, they were running out of time. But, you know, at the same time, they were buying a guy who, who played extremely well for Deportivo. And I liked, like you, the age profile of him, the fact that he was experienced. Um, you know, we saw that in, in his performances. You know, to me, he was brought in as a squad player. And I don't have any real issue with that. I think he was always going to be someone who who was going to be in and out of the team. Because you do have uh, Olivier Giroud, you do have uh, Alexis Sanchez, you've got uh, Theo Walcott, uh, uh, goal-scoring Theo Walcott, who Arsene Wenger likes to put in his team when he's scoring goals, as we know. Danny Welbeck coming back in January, uh, that was always going to add some uh some uh, some competition to the squad Alex Awobi playing in some of the wide positions as well Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain playing in one of the front three positions mm. for most of the first half of the season so it was always going to be competitive i just thought that given the way that he played and given what he produced i i feel like he deserved or has deserved a little more playing time that's one where I would stand at. I don't think he was ever going to be the guy that was going to be the answer to all our striking problems, but I do feel like he hasn't had really a fair a fair crack of the whip. You know, but then you look at when Giroud came back in and what did Giroud do when he came back into the team? He scored in, I don't know, how many games did he come on and score in as a sub? And he scored in however many consecutive starts. So, you know, it has been relatively competitive, and I don't necessarily think that scoring goals has been our biggest problem this season. You know, if no. you look at the amount of goals that we've scored, it's not like we're miles behind anybody else or that that is, is the, the key issue that we have to address. 
the issues lie further further behind the front three, I think. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, I can see that point of view, but I, I just feel that having watched him and having seen the way that he plays, I would have liked to see him get a bit more because I like the, the way that he plays and he seems like a, a good guy and he's got end product, he's, he's quick, he's strong. It just is one of those situations, I think, that, that happens at football clubs where a guy who comes in and isn't necessarily the first choice ends up being a bit marginalised. Yeah, I think any player who scores a hat-trick in the Champions League and then uh, finds himself out of the team at the weekend you know, <laughs> yeah. has probably got a, a, a fair gripe. I, I think the, the biggest thing, really, that we haven't really touched on is that thing of Alexis kind of emerging as this uh, central striker. I think that that probably hindered Lucas's chances as well. You know, when he was signed at the start of the season, it was kind of as viewed as competition for Olivier Giroud. But yeah. in fact, even Giroud himself found himself playing second fiddle to Alexis, which I, I'm not sure was ever uh, part of a you know necessarily a long term plan. You know, certainly in the early part of the summer. So yeah. um, he's been a bit unfortunate, to be honest with you. And uh, you know, when cup games like Lincoln do come around, that seems like a great chance to uh, to give him a run out. But I guess Arsene Wenger felt it was important for those players to get Bayern out of their system. Mm. Well, look, they did to an extent, I guess. The second half performance was a lot better than the first. The nervousness mm-hmm. that was clearly present in the team and the way that they were playing was dissipated by the the goal late in the first half. Theo Walcott making it 1-0 just before halftime, rather entertainingly in the injury time that was added on um, because of the stoppages. One, because the guy elbowed Mustafi and the other because he got elbowed by Koscielny, uh, the big uh, yeah. striker lad. So that, that was quite funny. And then second half, you know, goals. There was a lot more fluency to Arsenal's uh, play in the in the second period. Yeah, yeah, that much was clear. I, I mean, the first half was kind of interesting. It was kind of half... I mean, I did think, you know, Lincoln... The commentary was almost patronising at times, but I thought they did oh. pretty well. Uh, I mean, should we talk about the commentary? Or <laughs> Well, it was it was really fucking hard to listen to, wasn't it? Um, yeah. It, it really was. Look, I get that everybody wants the magic of the cup and the underdog to do well, but... Uh, the, the BT Sport commentary was was particularly bad. And, you know, there were bits of it where you're thinking, OK, look, it's fine to be on the side of the underdog and it's fine to want them to do well because why wouldn't you? You know, if it was us watching Lincoln City against Manchester United, you know, we'd, we'd enjoy a little bit of partisan commentary to an extent. But there were bits where... Uh, I felt they went a bit too far in the sense that there was one terrible tackle on Kieran Gibbs late in the half Mm -hmm. where uh, Chris Sutton goes, oh, you know, I feel for him there a bit, you know, getting booked. He he was a little bit late. I mean, he wasn't a little bit late. The ball was gone and he came launching in at the side of Gibbs who who did well to to get himself up in the air and and, uh, uh, avoiding a a serious injury. And there was another tackle on Mesut Ozil on the edge of their box and they went, oh, that's a tasty tackle there by the the Lincoln defender and you're thinking no that's not a tasty tackle that was potentially a really really dangerous tackle I think it could easily have been a red card and those kind of double standards are what encourage those uh, players to play the way that they do I mean even the the build up to the game one of the Lincoln players was saying well if Mesut Ozil tries to run past me or no Alexis Sanchez if he tries to run past me I'm going to smash him I'm going to smash him you're going, come on. But in the end, it turns out that that, that was the guy um, that was the guy who got smashed, uh, which led to yeah. this rather amusing piece of commentary um, 
by uh, Chris Sutton. So this is this is when Mesut Ozil uh, goes into the uh, challenge with that guy. Oh, but now he's just shoved out of it by Ozil. <laughs> no free kick he's given. Well, the linesman's only five yards away. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I love that. Oh, come on, like Chris Sutton, because it reminded me of a few things. That little clip there reminded me of a few things. So where he goes, come on, it was a bit like uh, Peter Griffin from Family Guy. Come on, come on. <laughs> All right, and then there's yeah, the other bit. True. Yeah, the other bit um, there is the is the little chuckle at the end. So I'm going to play the uh, the Chris Sutton bit first. So this is this is him. <laughs> All right. Now, yeah. have you ever seen a film called uh, The Room? Yeah, I have seen The you Room. You have yeah. seen a film called The Room, which is a, one of the most terrible films ever made. Uh, a guy called Tommy Wiseau. Yeah, it really is. It's dreadful, and you see uh, all, all the things. But have a listen just one more time. Let me see if I can do this. Have a listen one more time to the uh, to the Chris Sutton laugh. Here it comes. <laughs> all right, and this is uh, Tommy Wiseau from that film, The Room. Um, and this is the way he laughs. <laughs> Uncanny, right? Well, I mean, now we know if they ever make the long-awaited biopic of Chris Sutton's life, who, who, sh- who should play him? Uh, I mean, he is, yeah, God, he's intolerable, I think, Chris Sutton. I, I think I've said it on here before that he mm. might be my least favourite pundit, and he really he really confirmed that status at the weekend. Yeah, he, re- he, was, he was absolutely terrible. It was painful listening to him uh, for 90 minutes. It really was. Uh, like, the first half, the first 45 minutes in particular, Arsenal were shite, and Chris Sutton was on co-commentary. It was like, oh, my God. And there were times, actually, where I, you know, I I, I was sort of on the verge of kicking in my TV listening sure. to the pair of them. It was just <laughs> like, oh, fuck, will you just shut the fuck up, like, both of you. I really yeah. feel like I've said in the blog today, there's got to be a, a no commentary option. You know, these broadcasters, they've got the technology to do it. Just do it. You know, the consumers deserve that. The price we have to pay, you know, for Sky subscription, for BT Sports subscription, and uh, and we, we, we have to listen to that commentary. And while I'm on the subject of BT Sport, you know, it's a pain in the arse when they post clips on their Twitter and I keep getting, this is not available in your country. I'm going, well, mm, I pay you. Too. I pay what you get that too? I think I think so. I think I do. But what maybe that's, country maybe is I... it available in then? <laughs> if it's not available in your country or my country, what country is it available? Like Malta? I don't know. I don't know. I hope I'm right about that. But I've definitely got a recollection of it. But maybe it's just because I'm using some weird VPN or something, trying to access something illegal. I don't know. Oh, but it, it must be very annoying for you. It is. <laughs> It's very annoying. It's that annoying. It's that annoying, yeah, you know. But, uh, you know, I suppose the one thing that you could say is that the the better Arsenal played, the more unhappy he became, very visibly, or uh, not visibly, uh, sadly we couldn't see him, but uh, audibly unhappy. Uh, and, and he got really, like, the... the the uh, the reaction to that uh, Mesut Ozil challenge uh, is something that will live with me for forever and ever. Like his his sort of squawks of misery as that happened is just like oh, I got to play it again. It's just like oh, but now he's just shoved out of it by 
says no free kick is given. Well, the linesman's only five yards away. Oh, the, the linesman's only five <laughs> yards away. <laughs> it's kind of the pundit's nightmare, isn't it? It's yeah. the perfect storm. It's Meza Erzl out-muscling, you know, a, a good, solid English player. No, it, come, I mean, on, no, come on. Shouldn't be allowed. It shouldn't be allowed. But, you know, that's the thing. Arsenal's players are going to be more athletic, ultimately, than Lincoln's players. That's why it's important to clamp down on things like the tackling, because they won't be used to coming up against players that quick. You know, the reason Kieran Gibbs got in such danger is because he's, he's quicker than most guys. So, you know, he's he's more likely to get caught. He's more likely to get away. He's lucky he could get away in some respects. I think... Uh, yeah, I, God, it was it was an abs- I mean, it's inevitable when you're the the Goliath up against the David, but it's is very grating as well, and a bit of impartiality in the commentary would be welcome. Yeah, exactly. I mean, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> on a line, we're only five yards around. <laughs> I mean, did you see? Uh, did you see in the studio afterwards the interaction between Ian Wright and Chris Sutton, slightly redressing the balance? Oh, I did. Yeah, I don't know. I, I put it on the blog today, but I think people should hear this as well, shouldn't they? I think yeah, it would be definitely. good if people heard this. This um, this is in the studio after the game, and he, Ian Wright is sitting there with uh, Michael Owen and mm-hmm. uh, Chris Sutton and this is what went down so hang on let me get this here uh, a tweet has just come into us from AB who had the better left foot right Sutton or Owen me me don't even ask them to they can't get into <laughs> yeah, what my left it, foot was if, if rightly says that yeah absolutely how many tricks yep. did you score with your, your left foot how many I've done it. I don't even remember doing it. I didn't even remember what foot I used. That was so good. <laughs> you can't get into that. You can't no. get into that party, bro. No, no, no chance. Me, no problem. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so brilliant for Sutton there. Well, you know, if if Ridey says so, you know. I mean, the thing is, right? Think what you will of Michael Owen. There is definitely an odd man out, isn't there, in that trio of strikers in terms of quality? You know? Yeah, uh, and it, and it's the guy sat in the middle, Chris Sutton. Yeah. I think like uh, Ian Wright sounds. He sounds almost annoyed there, doesn't he? he sounds, <laughs> that sounds like he was listening to the commentary and was pretty yeah. hurt by himself. Uh, he's just taking. He's taking the absolute piss, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, um, yeah. I mean, fantastic. Actually, do you remember? Um, Back in the day, when he was at Norwich, I think Arsenal yes. were very, very close to to signing Chris Sutton before he went to Blackburn. Yeah, and he that's went for. Very a, true. Did he not go for what was then a British transfer record? Well, I think he. It was then. I think they were linked again when he went to Chelsea. He signed for Chelsea for about ten million pounds, and I think Arsenal were quite strongly linked with him at that time as well. Wow. Um, Guys, what what a near miss! Yeah, wow. I mean, he was a disaster at Chelsea, as I recall. It didn't pan out for him, so yeah, bullet dodged. Then he went to Celtic. <laughs> <laughs> come on, come on! Only five yards away. Um, so, so look, anyway, I think that's the one thing that we can take from this weekend. If 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 nothing else will unite the Arsenal fans, it is it is Chris Sutton. I think so. That's it. We've been looking for something to bring harmony back to the supporters. Mm. Uh, I think there'll be protests at the next home game, but they'll all be against Chris Sutton. Yeah. Um, Focus on the real and issues. I liked what you, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I liked what you said in your blog about how we've now 
we've now vanquished Sutton for two FA Cup rounds in a row. Yes. Um, that's <laughs> nice. Uh, so, which of the which? What about the second half goals? What did you? Was there a favourite of yours? What did you? Do? I liked the air tackle on Alexis Sanchez. I did that. Yeah, that was fantastic. It was like a golf shot that misses, wasn't it? It was a lovely yeah. finish. A little bit of good fortune, I guess, to get away. But I did like the the Giroud goal. I thought the interplay between Ooh. Alexis and Hector Bellerin was was really nice and the kind of football that we haven't seen often enough uh, from, from Arsenal this season. I know it's only uh, Lincoln City, etc., etc. But, you know, uh, it's still a nice goal, a uh, lovely finish and a nice bit of play. So so that was good. Um, and It was uh, one of those moments where the class kind of told, you know, when you watch that goal, the, the intricate approach play, the sort of very nonchalant finish, the lack of celebration, it, it was one of those reassuring moments where you saw the kind of the gulf between the two sides. Yeah, and I thought there was a little bit of uh, self-awareness from the team as well in mm. terms of how they... Uh, celebrated the goals. They didn't go overboard. Uh, you know, there was no leaping around or anything like that. It was like, okay, look, you know, we're, we're getting the job done here, and that's that. You know, we're not going to go uh, over the top. Um, what was apart the from maybe the moment where Aaron Ramsey absolutely smashed the ball into the net from <laughs> half a yard out? I love that. I have to say, I've got a question about that, so we'll save that for the for okay, the second cool. half of the uh, for the second half of the podcast. Uh, but it, I mean, it leaves uh, what's going to be a very very tasty FA Cup draw uh, this evening because the final uh, quarter final is taking place tonight between Manchester United and Chelsea. That's at Stamford Bridge. So the four mm. teams uh, is going to be either Manchester United or Chelsea, uh, along with Manchester City, Tottenham. And Arsenal. I mean, that is, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a stellar lineup, isn't it? It is. It really is. Apart I mean, from it's Tottenham, great. obviously. Yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Three out of four in back. Three out of four, yeah. Um, it's good for the competition. Uh, it's probably less good for us, but it means you know, if we do win it, it'll be a it'll be a hell of a hell of an accomplishment. Yeah. I mean, dare I ask you what you would hope for in the draw? Uh, what do I hope for? I don't know. I mean, I don't hope for any of those teams, to be perfectly honest. I hope for, like, Millwall to get through and Northampton Town and uh, Altrincham. That's who I we was hoping to find out that kind of Vincent Janssen was fielded illegibly or something like that, and then Millwall were put through at their expense. <laughs> that would be funny. I can't, see, I can't see that happening, unfortunately. But, you know, uh, what would be more terrifying to you, an FA Cup semi-final against Tottenham or, or uh, an FA Cup final against Tottenham? What would put your heart worse? Oh, God, I don't know. See, an FA Cup semi-final with Spurs feels like a kind of a throwback, doesn't it? It feels like that's there's something sort of historic about that. Yeah. I mean, a final would be huge as well. Um I think I think I would like to I don't want Spurs to get to the final. Yeah. And I think that I would like to take on the mantle and the challenge of stopping that from happening. Uh you know as as much, as fantastic as an Arsenal Spurs final would be, that means Spurs would would have a final. Mm. And uh I don't want that. Yeah. Now, are we the best team to stop them getting it? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not, but it would be fun. And I think also, it rules out the possibility of losing to them in a final, which I just can't even yeah. begin to contemplate. So I think I want an Arsenal-Spurs semi. Well, I mean, you could put the, the elimination of Spurs in the hands of either Manchester United, Chelsea or, or, or Manchester City as well. I mean, is there one True. team that you would prefer to draw 
above all others, or I are you looking at all of them going like, oh, fuck, it's difficult? I, I think, this might be a controversial opinion, but I think when I look at them, I, I kind of think maybe City. Right. Maybe City. I kind of feel like, you know, we could kind of do a bit of a Monaco and have a good go at City if we had our attacking players in some kind of form by then. Mm. But the others, I... The others are all good at grinding out results, aren't mm. they? United have sort of becoming that team under Mourinho. Chelsea have very much been that team under Conte and Spurs. Yeah. Sort of ominously similar. And those are the teams that... You know, the organised ones. They're the ones we struggle with. <laughs> The ones who have, like, a plan in place and who can defend. The ones with plans, yeah. They're, they're, the, they're, the, they're our bogey teams, the ones with tactics. They're, so I think yeah. City, maybe. What, what about you? Um, I, yeah, maybe City from a footballing point of view. Like what you say, if we did a Monaco, uh, you know, we could score some goals, but we could also do a Monaco and let in a lot of goals as well. That could also happen, yes. So, you know, we, we, there's only, we want to do a half Monaco. I think that's what we want. So I think if we could do a half Monaco against Manchester City and then one of those teams in the final, uh, United or Chelsea, I suppose, in the final, oh, I don't know, maybe... I feel like if we were to get a team in the final... I'd prefer it to be, oh, God, imagine, though, getting an FA Cup final against Manchester United and beating Mourinho, uh. Wenger beating Mourinho in the FA Cup final and then calling it a day and just doing a shit on the Manchester United <laughs> bench <laughs> as a way to go out. Here's a cup. There you go, Mourinho. You've been waiting to do this for years. It's like the, yeah. While, while a disgusted Chris Sutton commentates for BT Sport. Oh, come on! <laughs> he can't do a shit on the bench. Oh, Jeez. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, look, there's, there's no... A couple of times with the Cup, you know, we've got to this stage and suddenly it's felt a little bit like, oh, it's there to be won. Mm. It doesn't feel as much like that this time I and mean, this is a real heavyweight set of semi-finalists so yeah. uh, whatever happens uh, this evening between Mourinho and uh, and Conte mm. so yeah I um, I mean look it's yeah there's no there's there's no easy draw at this stage no I don't think so I don't think so all right well look um I think we'll we'll just call it a, a a uh, day? No, not a day. What's the word? Call it a half there, exactly. Uh, we'll take a, a short little break and we're going to come back with some of the questions that you've posed to us on Twitter and Facebook right after this. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. All right, welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. So, um, do you want to start? We're ready or now. I start? The first half, it was a bit like it was a bit like Arsenal at the weekend, wasn't it? We were we were covering from Bayern. It yeah. was sort of you know steadily making ground, but now. Now we're clicking. Now, now we're, we're on clicking it. now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, look, do you want to go first or will I? By the way, that laugh, that sound like it's making me really self-conscious. Every time I laugh, I'm worried that I sound like Chris Sutton now. So it's kind of totally constant so, terror yeah. for me. Okay. Well, no, uh, you don't. You're all right. Thanks very much. Um, I will go first. And this is from Anamic Sahar on Twitter, who's at Anamic1977. And they ask, is Ozil in the number 10 role a luxury we cannot afford anymore? I, I guess it's off the back of the kind of midfield three we've seen in the past couple of games. And I, sp- I, sp- I kind of think that although it's been a pretty crap week, that, it, that that's a, a little bright spot and maybe a sign of something we could keep using for the mm. remainder of the campaign? don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a luxury we can't afford when Mesut Ozil's form is the way it is. Yeah. At the moment, he's clearly a guy who is uh, a long way from his best. And you do have to wonder that maybe... I, I, I do feel like a lot of our problems stem from the fact that our midfield isn't as functional as it should be, to be honest. I think that's uh, that's an issue that we've spoken about quite a number of times. Um, we don't necessarily have the right duo, so can you make up for that by playing a trio? And perhaps, perhaps you can. Is he a luxury we can't afford at number 10? You know, I, I don't really see that Mesut Ozil is any less effective as a player uh, who, who plays wide from time to time. You know, he does that for the German national team. He plays very well there. He's uh, usually the German national team player of the season. I think he's been five out of the six years. He's been voted their right. best player. And often he plays in a, in a wider role, uh, but I do. You know, if we need to fix the midfield, or if we haven't got quite the personnel to play two in midfield with a guy like Ozil with a free role who's given license to move around wherever he wants, then maybe maybe that is the case. Maybe we do need to to readjust the system or or the formation a bit more as a 4-3-3 rather than the the 4-2-1-3 whatever the fuck it is uh how many number i couldn't think of numbers there 4-4-7-4-2-3-1 yeah what are, you know you know what i'm saying i know what you mean you know what i mean i i, I think that um Arsenal have struggled this season. Well, certainly in the last few months, let's put it that way with kind of Ozil as a 10. And I think that this kind of Ramsey Shaka Oxlade-Chamberlain trio has a lot of promise. Now, obviously, Oxlade-Chamberlain went and got himself injured at the weekend, so we don't know. You know, Apparently, that was precautionary, his withdrawal, but that's the problem with Ox. Whenever he hits a run of form, something seems to, to pull him back. But I, I would like to see more of it. And I think Ozil... I think, first of all, he can work 
wide left or wide right, as you've suggested. And I also think that given that his future at the club is in considerable doubt, that it's not the worst thing to be looking at models for the team that aren't contingent on him playing there. Okay, but, uh, you know, given that, and you mentioned Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, what did you make of the stories that came out uh, Mm. in the wake of the Bayern game? I think we all know how the system works or how it works with with players and agents, that it was made clear to a number of uh, newspapers that Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain hadn't been yet offered a new deal by the club, despite the fact Arsene Wenger saying uh, in his press conference before the Lincoln game that he rates Oxlade-Chamberlain, he wants to keep him. uh, But Oxlade-Chamberlain, the message coming from his camp uh, is basically that Arsenal have left it late. I don't feel wanted. Even if they offered me a big money deal now, I'm not going to sign it. I mean, that's kind of, um, whatever about Alexis and Ozil, you know, two star players who might have doubts. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, with the greatest of respect to him, as a player who's who's got some potential and talent, but hasn't necessarily shown it over the years, it feels a bit off to me that that, that kind of ultimatum is coming from his camp. Whether it's coming from him, I'm, you know, I don't think we can say that, but it's certainly coming from, from his people. Well, I don't think his people have been shy about, you know, letting the press know that other clubs have been interested in Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain over the past couple of years. I can't think of another Arsenal player who's been linked with so many different teams. Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea, West Ham yeah. have all have all been associated with bids for him at some point or other in the last two years. And um, I, I, what I do sympathise him, with him, though, is like, do you not think we've left it rather late to be yeah. talking about a new contract? I mean, I... I can't believe that, that there hasn't been a, an offer forthcoming. And I think, I mean, slightly to broaden the issue, you know, I remember Arsene Wenger talking back in the autumn about Oxlade-Chamberlain's contract and about Jack Wilshire's contract and saying, well, that's something that we'll look to address around January time. Well, we're now in March and it's very clear that there's been no formal offer from Arsenal for Oxlade-Chamberlain or as far as I'm aware, Jack Wilshire. Yeah. So I, I don't know what to make of that, really. I, I think if you're the player... Maybe you're smart to be thinking about looking elsewhere because it doesn't feel like a great declaration from the club that they that they want to keep you. Yeah, yeah. Which seems odd because he's playing. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, it is. It is a bit of a strange one. But that we sort of uh, gone off the point there a little bit. And we discussed it in the Arscast on Friday as well. So if people want to go back and have a listen to that, uh, we discussed uh, Oxlade Chamberlain. But I just thought, you know, given given the, the way the message came out in the wake of what was a, a bad night for us, I thought that was a little bit a little bit cynical uh, from from his people. Um, and um, again, make it clear that it's not necessarily from him, uh, the player. No, but let's not forget, it was earlier this season that he made that appearance on Sky. I think I've referenced it a couple of times on here, but where he, it, it was quite clear that in his mind, at least, uh, this was a kind of make or break season for him and I I would argue he's done a lot of the things that you would have asked of him in terms of being more productive in terms of goals and assists we've talked about him almost his versatility versatility almost being an obstacle for him he's never really found a best position this season in the last few weeks it seems like he has done it seems like you know he clearly is a better player in central midfield than he is on the flank so I, I think he's done everything that he would have not everything you would have hoped for, but, you know, he's certainly made strides in the right direction. So I think he's entitled to wonder uh, where this contract offer is. I guess maybe that speaks to just the general uncertainty that surrounds the company. It's, it's not the biggest symptom of it, but uh, it's, uh, it's certainly it. a symptom. Yeah, It's part of it. OK, uh, on Facebook, Oliver K 
Kiddell or Kiddell says, I was happy to win the Lincoln game and was told on social media that to feel that way means I have a small club mentality. I'm not a real Arsenal fan. I'm the reason we always fail, etc. You get the picture. Um, how His question is, how far should those Arsenal fans who insist on telling others how they should think and feel after certain results sod off? <laughs> <laughs> quite far, quite far. I mean, there's... Uh... What, did you see before the game certain high-profile Arsenal fans saying they hoped Arsenal would lose? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't even know where to begin with that. I mean, I'm not even going to mention the people by name because I feel like, you know, a lot of what they say is just an attempt to raise their profile. But yeah. I do think there are a few people who are almost subscribing to that way of thinking. And, and it's, it's a shame, really, because, you know, the, the FA Cup represents a, a brilliant opportunity still for us to finish the season on a high. And it's it's done that before in 2014 and 2015. And those were great occasions. Uh, and we've got an opportunity to go and do that again. And I just think that it's this idea that you can't have that kind of balanced view where you can be upset about, say, the Bayern Munich defeat and maybe even upset about the direction of the club or maybe even the identity of the manager, but still support the team on the day, the fact that some people can't seem to grasp that, I find bewildering. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, le- we should be looking for the positive things, right? Not ignoring them when they do come along. Yeah, you can't demand silverware and demand success and at the same time hope that your team loses. You can't hold those two positions. It's not... It just doesn't work, you know? And, yeah. and by any measure, a trophy is... Uh, uh, an achievement, it's success in a in a tangible form. It's there, it's a trophy. It goes into your trophy cabinet. You lift it up and everybody cheers. You know, and the same people who say, oh, well, fuck the FA Cup or it's only the FA Cup or it's only Lincoln City. Are you telling me that if they're watching that game, they're watching a final, they're not going to uh, cheer the goals? They're not going to cheer and be happy if Arsenal win a, an actual cup? I mean, if you're actually not happy that Arsenal could win a cup, then fine. I don't know. I genuinely don't know how to deal with that. Um, but, you know, I, the other thing that strikes me is I, I always find it a bit a bit hard to take when fans start blaming other fans for things that are completely out of control of fans. You know, I, I don't get this idea that you should blame a fan for what's happening at board level or what's happening at managerial level or the way that the team is performing on the pitch. It's not the fault of any fans. No. So I don't, you know, I don't, I don't subscribe to, to that view at all. I mean, on the on the protests, what did you make of the the protest at the weekend, the the march, uh, for the second successive game, um, the no new contract and we want Wenger out, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, the we- what they're calling it, Wexit. I mean, look, it's it wasn't particularly well attended, was it? We're talking about a couple of hundred fans, I believe. Uh, I actually think I'm pretty proud of the Arsenal fans. I think it's a credit to the supporters who are inside the stadium that for all... Because I, I feel like um, probably a lot of those thousands of fans in the ground maybe feel that the time has come for a change at managerial level. But I still feel that what they're doing is turning up and supporting the team. And I think that that's... I think that's great, to be honest. Like, even the Bayern Munich game, I was at the Bayern Munich game, and in the first half particularly, I was really uh, taken aback and proud of the atmosphere that the fans generated for a game, for a tie that was over, and with the side in really difficult circumstances and real uncertainty around the club, I thought the supporters were largely tremendous. And I think, 
I think that's creditable, to be honest with you. I, I'm not saying that people are wrong to protest, but I take more pride from those fans who support the team, uh, kind of irrespective of those things, um, than I do from from those that mm. are protesting. I respect everybody's right to do whatever they want. I just think that that's a kind of a, a, a bit more admirable. I think it's possible to do both, to be honest. I think it's possible to hold those views and make those views clear in certain ways and, and still back the club, because that's... the the constant and the consistent. Yeah. I, I, I don't know where it's going to go. I mean, is the indication that those processes are going to continue well, for the remainder of the season? Well, that's the thing. That's the question I have about it is that, okay, you, you, you had a march before the Bayern game and you made your position very clear. I mean, I don't think anybody's in any doubt as to what the, uh, the, the position that those people hold is. They want a new manager. They don't want Arsene Wenger to stay and they don't want him to sign a new contract. I think that's, it's clear. The message is, is pretty clear. And then you have another protest against, uh, in the, before the game against Lincoln. And it's the same message. The message hasn't changed. Everybody understands what those, uh, protesters are saying. There's no, uh, lack of clarity about what it is that they're saying. So we all, we get it. We understand. And you have every right to protest. Um, nobody's saying that you shouldn't or can't. But how, I mean, is it going to be every game? I mean, how many times do you need to make the same statement? I, I mean, I guess what they may be hoping is that it grows, you know, I, I don't know, um, that momentum gathers behind it. I mean, what, I suppose the one thing in its favour is it, it's outside the ground, primarily. You know, it's, it's not during the game, which I do think needs to remain kind of largely sacred in that, in that respect I, yeah. I do think that you know chanting against the, your own manager within a game is not is not a good thing and so far that does seem to be largely the case I don't know where it's going to go I mean there's a plane there's talk about a plane yeah. do you know about the plane there's a question here from Damien at Damien AFC he said what do you think of the planned airplane protest at West Brom doesn't this make doesn't this make us all look like twats it probably does. It probably does in the eyes of, of other clubs. I mean, I know I, I know what I thought when there was the plane... Was it David Moyes? Yeah. The United fans flew a plane. I remember finding that hysterical. And, you know, I think... <laughs> you know, when you go on Arsenal Fan TV these days, the comments aren't from Arsenal fans. We've become the subject of ridicule for certain other Premier League clubs. For all other Premier League clubs, really. And I think things like that don't help. But, uh, I mean, you know, what you've got to remember is it doesn't represent, it doesn't have to represent you. It's somebody's choice to do that and they're putting their money into it. But, you know, it's not, it's not kind of in my name. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there is that. You know, I, I didn't think when the United fans who got a plane for David Moyes, I didn't think that was representative of all Manchester United fans. I just thought no, it was representative of some stupid fucking idiots. Who yeah. thought that this was something that they should do? I mean, it's, it's, and I think the same about whoever's got a plane. If this plane thing is true, I think it's fucking pathetic, to be perfectly honest. I really mm. do. And it's not representative of all Arsenal fans. And I think even as uh, time goes on and, and as we've spoken about, perhaps there's a little bit more consensus about what people would like that, uh, I, you know, most fans would not get involved in something like that, because it's quite disrespectful, I think, of, of the manager. Here's, here's a couple of... So I guess I'll... I actually agree with you, but in order to pay 
kind of devil's advocate. What about um, the fact that these fans feel that the club aren't listening to them and they need to make their opinion heard? And the fact that the fans of the the flames of that have been fanned somewhat by the comments of Ivan Gazidis and even to an extent by Arsene Wenger the other day in his press conference when he was asked about if, you know, the opinions of the supporters will influence his ultimate decision. Do you, yeah. do you have any sympathy with the, the fact that these people are like, well, look, this is my club and I have a view on how it should be governed and I want to make that heard? Yeah, but they have made it heard and the club have made it clear that they've heard it as well because they released a statement last week. Which I mean, that's you know, the aim of the statement, presumably, is to be like, look, we hear you don't need to do this. Is that is that, is yeah, that look, what they I, were hoping for? I don't know if that's what they were hoping for, but they certainly got a response from the club, which is much better than silence. Now, I have issues with the statement, and I know you do too, in the yeah. sense that, you know, A, it didn't say an awful lot. B, it didn't really achieve what they wanted it to achieve. And C, it felt like more hiding behind uh, Sir Chips Keswick, a 77-year-old figurehead chairman, still nothing from Stan Kroenke, still nothing from Ivan Gazidis. You know, why are they so silent? Gazidis is so quiet. This On, is the quietest he's ever been. Yeah, I, yeah, it is. And I think what it is is that he is uh, unwilling to say anything on the record now that could be uh, brought up again at some point in the future. You know, I don't think... He's too much of a politician to come out and say, I support Arsene Wenger. I think of that's course. what it is. Because he'll but, be here next season, yeah, and of, he knows that. Of course, but at the same time, he's not willing to publicly say that he supports Arsene Wenger, but he and Stan Kroenke have got a two-year contract on the table for Arsene Wenger. That, by any measure, is an, an illustration of their support, Right. And if they're not willing to come out and publicly say it, I, you know, I really, that gets my fucking goat up. So look, yeah, I, I think they're dry. I, I think they, you know, um, this is a slight sidetrack, but it, what they need to do if they stand by that con- contract offer is clarify their reasons for it. Mm. They, they need to be like, we believe Arsene is the right manager for the club based on these things. That is our position. Judge us on that. Mm. Yeah. Um, but they won't. So. No, they won't. But look, you know, I, I understand and people want their voices to be heard. I think the voices have been heard. Whether it becomes a bigger thing, uh, whether it's going to be a, a a movement that grows so much momentum that it requires further attention from the club, I don't quite know. I mean, I guess that's what the what the aim of, of the protests is. And, you know, I think we're living in or living through a period where where we're just going to have to deal with this on a what seems to be almost a, a weekly basis. That if it's going to happen game after game after game, I don't know if 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 bad results will will energize the protests and good results might make it calm down a bit. I just don't know. I mean, that's that's the thing. Um, so it's it's just, I think it's just part and parcel of what Arsenal are at this moment in time, which is uh, which is a bit strange. Yeah. Well, look, we we got quite far without talking about the manager, but I did have a question here. This is from Phil Thornton, who's at Phil T. Guna on Twitter. Uh, and he asks, considering the current state of the club, is there a case for Wenger staying with a transition plan being put in place? Or has it gotten so bad that he should go regardless? Um... I feel like there's been moves in the past week or two. I feel like several journalists have kind of slightly rode back on the idea that Arsene will go. 
Well, uh, yeah. As if you've noticed that yourself, but that seems to be my observation. Yeah, I know that uh, Amy Lawrence wrote a piece uh, for The Guardian uh, and, and has spoken about it. I spoke to Amy last week and, and her sense, without any information, you know, just from seeing him in press conferences and what have you, is that he, he wants to continue that he wants to, to, to stay on as manager, you know, in, in some ways, as frustrating as it might be for some people, I think there is a reasonable case to put forward that if he stays, it, it, it is part of a transition, an actual proper transition towards whoever the new manager is going to be. And we've spoken time and time again about the structures that need to be put in place and directors of football and all those kind of things. So I think there is a reasonable case to be put in pl- uh, to, to say that if Arsene Wenger stays, it's contingent on him and the club uh, future-proofing whoever is going to come next. You know, to address the issues that exist, like the scouting department, there are huge questions, as you know, over the scouting department. That's something that's got to be reworked. There's talk of uh, our transfer fix, uh, fixer, Mr. Mr. Dick Law, that he might be on his way out. That in itself is an area that could probably be upgraded. Um, you know, somebody who can come in and help the club attract good players, who can act as a buffer between the manager and the board, or can uh, act as somebody between potential transfer candidates and the manager. You know, take the onus and take the focus off uh, the workload off the manager, um, which you, you could probably argue in some ways it could be contributing to the poor performance, maybe it is just down to his managerial skills, but maybe if he was just more focused on the managing side of things rather than transfer fees and contracts and, you know, board meetings and everything else, maybe, you know, and I'm not doubting Arsene Wenger's work here, but I think there is a a case to be made for that kind of uh, transition. I don't think it's going to happen, though. I, You know, I, I don't feel like that is what would happen if Arsene Wenger was to stay, though. Do you? No, I, I think you're, you are right. There is a case for it. What I kind of feel is like the opportunity for that probably <laughs> was three years ago and has gone to an extent. I, I kind of yeah. feel like it's, it's almost too toxic now for people to accept that. And I wonder if there is still a case of like the man, the next manager, if there is a new manager this summer, almost has to be regarded as kind of a, a transitional safe pair of hands anyway like I feel like this isn't the time for if it's at all possible for huge revolution like he's not available but if you could bring in an Ancelotti type you know someone who's got that massive experience of European clubs and handling big personalities who seems to everything seems to be water off a duck's back to him I think that would make more sense in some ways than sort of a a bright young coach at this very stage I I feel like there is going to be a two-year transition period regardless of who's in charge it's a bit weird Um, though isn't it you know when you think about it what what happens if you know let's say we win the cup and finish top four and that energizes Arsene Wenger to stay and the board think well that's a successful season we've got Champions League football next season and we've won a trophy and Arsene Wenger stays what happens to all the people uh, and you know I would include myself in in the sense that I think Arsenal need a new manager and, and you do too where does that leave people going into the next two years of of uh, of football under Arsene Wenger? I mean, the people who are, are who are now willing to protest, what do they do? What are they going to do? In you know, is it going to be a protest before every single game for the rest of Arsene Wenger's career? It's mad, isn't it? When I you think, think that's about kind it? of the problem that kind of 
that Austin faces really is that even if he achieves success like that, every we've said this for years, but every setback unearths all those gripes and grievances and yeah. all that dissatisfaction. You know, so even if he won the FA Cup and even if he somehow scrabbled up and finished above Spurs in the league this year, got second place. I guarantee you that if we lost on the opening day of next season, or the first major defeat of next season, there would be banners and calls for him to go, in spite of a two- or three-year contract, you know. And that, unfortunately, is why I think it, it the toxicity is just too much, because I feel like it's such an uphill struggle now that, uh, I, you know, I, I just can't see how it would ever... I mean, his only option, really, is to win every game. Yeah, <laughs> his only option is to repeat the invincible season, basically. But also in the in the uh, League Cup and the FA Cup and the Champions League, kind of, kind of. I mean, like you know, but the, you know, you're right. Wenger, That's what it is. If, if Arsene Wenger had the invincible season now, people would slate him for the Champions League performance. <laughs> no, you know, you're right. I mean, there is a point where it, it reaches a tipping point where you know nothing nothing will repair it. In some ways, it's like when a player when fans lose faith in a player. You know, yeah. that that it's very, very difficult to turn that around. Very difficult to turn that around. Uh, and more often than not, it, it just doesn't happen that, that the player moves on. The relationship breaks down to the point where it's it's irreparable. So, I th- exactly. you know. Exactly. However good form they're in, however, you know, well they're doing, if they then have one bad game, it's like, aha, I, I knew it was you all along. Yeah. I knew that was you, Aaron Ramsey, <laughs> hiding in there. <laughs> uh, but like, uh, yeah, I, so that's kind of how I feel. But I do think that whole transition question is a really interesting one because I just cannot see that in, in the space of one summer, you know, let's say Arsene Wenger, I don't know, gets the FA Cup final, loses it, the pressure mounts, he feels he can't stay. You know, transfer business will kick off within a fortnight, really, mm. of that game. Arsenal will need to have so much in place. I just don't believe that that kind of whirlwind of transition is possible in such a short space of time. So there is going to be an awkward period of us finding our feet, irrespective of, of who the manager is. Mm. And just very finally, before we go... Uh, you know, go on with this. I, going back to that statement where they said things would be agreed mutually, you know, if if they presented Arsene Wenger with a contract and he's deciding whether or not to sign it, that doesn't speak of a mutual decision at all. So, no. you know, I think we, uh, we we have to look at that statement and, you know, roll, roll our eyes a little bit. But okay, I think we should move on. Um, let's get a couple more in uh, and, and sure. see if we can change the, the tone a little bit as well. So, uh, this one comes from Scott Baker, at Scotty underscore Baker, and he says, Ian Wright is a boss. Uh, we talked about him a bit earlier. He said, at 28 years old in 1991, he cost two and a half million. What would he have been worth if that was today? Wow, an awful lot of money, an awful lot of money. I mean, two and a half million. Was that a record at the time? Could have been the Arsenal record, I think, yes. Yeah, I think it was. I mean, to be fair, this is a hard question to answer because I don't know what footballers are worth anymore. Somebody else tweeted in and asked how much Alexis was worth and I was like, it's very difficult to say because, as we talked about in the summer, the kind of sense of value of what is a £20 million player, what is a £30 million player, has slightly gone out the window. It's just what crazy price are people prepared to pay? For a goal scorer like Ian Wright, I mean, you know, mm. you could pluck out any number. You could pluck out 50 million quid, couldn't you? I mean, it's, it's difficult to 
to define. But I mean, would, yeah, uh, uh, you know. What would Lukaku fetch on the open market? Okay, okay, but like, you know, imagine signing a 28-year-old striker from Crystal Palace now. What the fuck would people be saying? They'd be going, what the, what's going on here? You know, that's the remarkable thing, that he was 28 years of age when he joined Arsenal and beat the goal-scoring record. Um, You know, the the idea of us signing a 28-year-old striker from Crystal Palace now, I know the football world is different and everything else, but uh, that would make people's head explode, I think. That's true. I mean, who is a who is a Crystal Palace striker now? I, I can't even think. Benteke. <laughs> Benteke. Benteke. Yeah. Benteke. There you go. Um, and to be fair, he's a bit of a he's a bit of a big fish in that pond, you know. That, so that's uh, beyond that. I don't even know who you're looking at. Yeah. So, it, well, <laughs> I know who you are. Actually, it's it's, it's Benteke's brother. He's the backup. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, I mean, Ian Wright was absolutely my favourite player, really, at the time. I absolutely adored him. And he was the, it was the showmanship as well as the ability. And uh, he, in that clip with Chris Sutton, he talks about scoring chips with his left foot. His chipped, dinked finishes were my absolute favourite yeah. thing. He seemed to be able to dink it over the keeper, however close to goal he was. Whatever position the goalkeeper was, he could find that little dink or put a keeper on the ground. Just an absolutely sublime brilliant brilliant finisher yeah there's a video i just uh, retweeted actually a bit earlier so what i'll do is uh if you go to this post on arsblog.com if you're listening to the podcast you want to see ian wright finishing that way uh go to the uh go to the post on the website that uh, contains this arsecast extra and uh, there's just uh, so many amazing finishes in there from from ian wright um you know and a, a bit of a cunt as well you know on the pitch he could be a bit nasty um as with all the great players like Bird Camp, he had that bit of edge to him as well, um, mm. which which was fantastic. But yeah, an amazing, like, just an amazing finisher, and to to do what he did and achieve what he did at Arsenal in terms of the goals he scored, joining the club at twenty eight years of age is just fucking unbelievable. Exactly, shouldn't hold you back, Lucas Perez. Look what can happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's your inspiration. Okay, let's have this question from John Foster, who's at Super Johnny Foz on Twitter. He says, I am flying back from my honeymoon in April, landing on the 22nd in the afternoon. Now, for those who don't know, that is the possible date of our FA Cup semi-final. I have brought up changing the flights, but my wife was not happy. How can I change the flights so I can experience inevitable devastation firsthand and still remain married? Well, you know, he could be overthinking this. Um, Going on his honeymoon... Coming back the 22nd of April. What time did he say he was coming in? In the afternoon, I think he said. Right. Look. Yeah, lunchtime. Lunchtime. So what, it could easily be a 5.30 kickoff. They often are, to my immense irritation at Wembley, aren't they? The yeah. sort of needlessly stupid kickoff times. Yeah, I, I would imagine that they're going to do that for both the, uh, both the semi-finals. They'll be played in consecutive days, won't they, at Wembley? So yeah, probably think. 5.30 kickoffs, both of them. So land... Drop, uh, drop your wife home, make her a nice, uh, make her a nice dinner, leave it on the stove for her. You say, look, we've had a marvelous time on our honeymoon. It's been, it's been fun and sexy and interesting. I'm assuming. I'm, you know, I'm not. I don't know this guy personally. I assume that that's what honeymoons are about. Uh, but uh, I'm going to go and watch Arsenal now. We've had our fun. I think that's. I agree. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I think. I think. You know. Look. Also, we might well be on the Sunday, right? Yeah. 
Exactly. Knowing our luck, we'll be on a pitch that's been absolutely torn to pieces by the game that's played on the Saturday. Exactly. So, don't worry about it. Marital bliss awaits. I think it'll be fine. Yeah. And, uh... I mean, to be honest, depending on the draw, maybe just stay on the honeymoon anyway. You know, I think it, it might be preferable. <laughs> All right, a couple of questions involving uh, Aaron Ramsey here. I like this one from at, uh, at Braggied, uh, who's got an Icelandic name, which I think is Braggy Half Porson. Half Porson. I, 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 yeah, I, um, yeah, I'm struggling. Half Porson. Half Porson. Okay. Braggy Half Porson. Um, he says, now that we have finally walked the ball into the net, uh, Ramsey's. Do you think yes. we might try shooting from outside? Which amused me um, quite yeah. a bit. Uh, there was another one. Uh, how do you view Aaron Ramsey smashing the ball in from one centimeter out against a non-league team? And then this. I, mean, one, I bet you loved that. Oh, I, <laughs> I bet did. you loved it. It was absolutely yeah. fantastic. I laughed my head off when I saw that because he just went around and went, "Ah, oh, fuck it, right and roll it in, just blast it." Uh, and uh, at Shane Lust wants to know: Should Aaron Ramsey have stopped the ball on the line and got down on his hands and knees to head it in for a lap? I think he should have done. He hasn't got too many headed goals in his Arsenal career, so that would be a, a nice way to sort of up the balance. I, uh, I, there's a great photograph, actually. I forget. I think it might be Stuart McFarlane. I'm not sure. But he, it's of uh, Aaron Ramsey just booting the ball into the net, and you can see the goalkeeper um, just sat on the floor looking sad at that moment. And it's a, it's a brilliant photograph because it was a nice bit of skill, actually, to completely take the keeper out of the game. Um, yeah, it was cruel but the kind of cruelty that I enjoy. Yes, yes. But you know what, though? There is a danger that if he had done that, the goal might not have counted. Because do you remember a couple of weeks ago, was it Marco Verratti playing for PSG Mm. did something Mm. similar? He knelt down and headed the ball from just outside the box back to his goalkeeper, into the arms of the goalkeeper, and he got booked. And it was a free kick given, I think. So it must be, there must be something, I don't know if it's something in the laws of the game. Maybe it's unsportsmanlike behavior. I don't quite know what it is, but I would have loved, I'd love to see somebody do that at some point. Um, Yeah. You know, it would be, be it game, would be it? the most Aaron Ramsey thing of all time, wouldn't it? To to pull off that nice bit of skill, go around the goalkeeper, stop the ball on the line, kneel down, head it over or head it into the net and then get booked and the goal be disallowed. Yeah. That would be a, the most Aaron Ramsey thing I could think of. I mean, definitely Granite Xhaka would be booked for it. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> uh, uh, what about this one? This was from Mike, who's at Muk on Twitter. I think I pronounced that right. And he said, Gibbs had a good game on Saturday. Can you see him winning more game time over Montreal? Maybe, but I don't see him staying at the club in the long term. Mm. Don't see yeah. it. I think there's... Uh, a bit there's... of an uncertainty about that position, isn't there? Yeah. They seem to be sort of rotating in and out a little bit at the moment. Not clear mm. who Arsene Wenger really fancies there. Yeah, I, you know, I think we, we, we do have a bit of an issue there. I think it's something that the club are looking at. Certainly there's been a lot of left-backs linked. And, you know, yeah. uh, Kieran Gibbs is a good player, but has never really quite kicked on the way that we thought he might. So, uh, you know, between now and the end of the season... They might interchange a bit, depending on how the manager views things, and maybe Monreal is carrying a bit of a knock. And uh, yeah, but I think you know, in the longer term, we're going to have to we're going to have to work out something in in that particular position. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got one God. more, one more, yeah, one more here. Okay, uh, and this comes from uh, Alistair Wood at Ali Boy, uh, eighty two. 
He says, uh, gentlemen, when it comes to bar snacks, are you inclined to a modern gastropub snack such as a kettle chip or a traditional classic such as a pork scratching or a scampi fry? Mm, great question. I must add, there's some crisps on the market. I don't know if anyone out there is, you know, who works for crisps, but there are some crisps on the market I've heard are absolutely delicious. They are salt and vinegar chip shop flavoured chips. Crisps. Yeah. By who? Who makes these? I think they're Walkers. I think they're Walkers. I'm Googling now. Walkers salt and vinegar chip. Is that what I'm saying? I don't know. But, like, they're they're the flavour of chips from a chip shop. It sounds absolutely incredible. But shouldn't salt and vinegar be that flavour anyway? No, but I think they're much saltier Mm. and vinegarier than than we could possibly envisage. Oh, they're McCoy's. McCoy's chips, crinkled chips with a full chip shop flavour. And it's chip shop salt and vinegar. I've got to try it. Do you know what? I think we ought to... Yeah, I, I would like to try that too. I would like to try perhaps a couple of boxes of those. Yeah. Delicious <laughs> McCoy's uh, salt mm, and vinegar. McCoy's. Mm, the best McCoy's there is. Can get. Mm. Yeah. The real McCoy's. I um, uh, So I do like a crisp in a pub... Uh, if I'll, I'm going to give away how sort of middle class I am here, but like, there's a pub near me where they serve like little um, sort of saucy song, like little like you know cured meat chorizo y bites. Ooh, that's a great. Well, that's a great pub. Yeah. But pork scratchings, I'm in two minds about. I find them delicious, but I'm also acutely aware of how disgusting they are. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah. I know. I know exactly what you mean. I I yeah. love a bit of pork scratchings too. Or yeah, the Marks and Spencers again. If we're going very middle class here, sell, oh. sell nice bags of uh, sell nice bags of them. Um, pork uh, pork uh, crackling and stuff like that. So, and they do bags of like uh, uh, pork scratchings as well. But you know, to me, they're you know the top of the list salted peanuts. When you're in a bar, oh, see. can't beat a salted peanut. For me, I was going to say I'm not a peanut guy. It's it would be that for me that would be probably bottom. That would be below what? Oh, I don't. Yeah, that'd be below crisps. It'd be below, uh, you know, scampi fries. Know scampi fried. You know, the sort of cured meat thing, flatbread and hummus. You know, the kind of things <laughs> I have in a pub. Like I, I um, no, genuinely, salted peanuts. I like. What about like what about um, what about the pretzel? Uh, oh, you probably like mixed nuts with with fruit bits. Yeah, I like you know sort of wasabi peanuts or something like that. I, I um no, I don't know. Just sorted peanuts for me, it's a bit, bit bland, bit down the middle. Not they're not salty enough for me. What about? I, like, I need more salt. All right, no, for me, absolutely top of the list, salted peanuts, and then you could easily go down, you know, to dry roasted nuts, uh, scampi fries. Sure. There's what are the other ones? Bacon fries. Uh, oh, I like those. Bacon They're fries good. are quite good. I, you know, the artificialness of the scampi and bacon fries is is something to behold. That they taste yeah. vaguely like uh, the thing that they're supposed to taste like, but also like they've just come from a machine. Like a robot. No scampi were harmed in the making of these scampi fries. Yes, exactly, exactly. But what about, how do you stand on, you know, like the pretzel sticks? You know the sticks that look like they're uh, encased in shoe leather? What about those? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, actually. 
I'm not sure I'm, I'm encountering them enough, really, to have a firm opinion. Do you, do you like them? I find them unusually Moorish. I, right. You know, I, yeah. I, I eat them and go, God, these aren't really very nice. Nom, 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 nom. I have some more, though. Nom, 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 nom. Um, so, I yeah. have a theory that when I was growing up, in restaurants, you used to get breadsticks all the time. Do you know what I mean? Like long sticks of crispy bread. Yeah. And I feel like now they're not around anymore. Maybe. It's been a while since I feel since like now I've people are chopping up proper bread. Whereas before, you have these long breadsticks. You're like, what do you do with it? Can you butter it? What's the situation? You know, obviously you can pretend it's a magic wand or whatever, but beyond that. And, and now I feel like they're approaching extinction. Yeah. Now it's like, well, here's your sourdough focaccia. Exactly, uh, with some olive oil or yeah, whatever. exactly. Yeah, go give us some fucking sticks of bread that don't go off for five years. That exactly. <laughs> I think that was why they were so popular, right? They just last forever. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, maybe they weren't always breadsticks. They just slowly hardened over time into them. Yeah. But I, yeah, I think it's got to be... If I'm feeling like giving myself a treat, it's going to be pork scratchings, but I will be appalled at myself simultaneously as I eat them. All right, okay. Well, look, nothing like bar snacks to... Uh, uh, to divide people further. Uh, that's another thing. And if thing anyone from McCoy's is listening, you know where we are. Yeah, absolutely. I'll let you tweet at them and, uh, you know. Uh, sure, see, sure, see sure. You know, it worked with the jam. Got. It worked with the jam, so. Dip our salty McCoy's in our raspberry jam. <laughs> I still have a Delicious. couple of uh, jars of the apricot stuff left. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, Plenty left over. All right. Okay, well, Lifetime listen. supply. <laughs> a lifetime supply, eh? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on. Elizabeth's five yards away. <laughs> right. Um, we will leave it there, I think, for this uh, for this week's Arscast Extra. We've got a game against West Brom at the weekend. That's not going to be easy. They're a bit... No, uh, I, yeah. I, I suddenly sort of looked at that the other day and was like, oh, no reason I haven't been paying much attention to that, but that'll be tricky. Yeah, I think it will be. Uh, but we will discuss that in the Arscast on Friday. We'll be back uh, next... Oh, there's an Arsca. Oh, it's St. Patrick's Day on Friday as well. So, so uh, there is. Yeah, yeah, so it is. All right. Um, right, well, we'll be here on Monday to discuss whatever happens in the West Brom game. Then it's an interlull. So, um, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. But we'll deal with that as well as we can, hopefully, on the back of a win against West Brom. We'll talk to you on Friday and again next Monday. So until then, cheers. Bye. 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 Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.